Welcome to State of America Chats. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America Chats. I believe this is volume three, correct, Ian? Yeah, this is uh, number three in this uh, new uh, venture we've tried here. I think it's pretty successful so far. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, really, the concept, for those who haven't heard this before or anything, is uh, just kind of hit record and, and start talking. Not really uh, mapped out as much as the regular episodes. No, some of those aren't even mapped out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, man, what's been going on? Not a whole lot, just hanging around. This weekend I was trying to catch up on some uh, viewing, you know, uh, concert films and things. I actually purchased a stream for... Um, I don't know. Are you a fan of 311 at all? Um, I've seen them. That really doesn't answer that question. <laughs> I mean, like, there's. I mean, like, I saw them pretty early on. Actually, no doubt, opened for them before they were anybody. Um, yeah, it was like '94, right? Yeah, yeah. Saw them. So that that album with Down on it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with it. And then, like, on the later stuff, like if you played me the Greatest Hits album, I would know all the songs. Um, on that grace it's a nice cover of uh, love song by the cure i think that's one of the best covers i've ever heard of anything don't they hail from the uh, rap rock capital of the world omaha nebraska yeah you know by way of uh california too i think their home base is actually in california but uh, you know it's funny to think you know they i mean they've now been active for 25 years you know they're like a they're like a classic act now, you know. Some people have a real problem with them. I, I I always, for the most part, enjoyed what they did. I mean, they had some. Sometimes lyrically they get a little hokey, but uh, uh, musically, I mean, they, I mean, they, they, their drummer Chad Sexton is 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 an animal on the drums. I mean, he's unbelievably good and so technically proficient. You know, it's just he's with great. I mean, they they I mean they get a lot of kudos for being original. They are. Highly original. Uh, they they mix a lot of styles together. Um, they have a record called Transistor, which came out after that really popular album with Down and all mixed up. Um, so I saw them on that Transistor tour, and it was like a twenty-one song album. I saw, I guess, a double album, really. But it was it was all kinds of a lot of like reggae stuff in there, like really out there for them. And it, it you know it didn't fare as well commercially and and uh, but I, I have always loved that album. It's uh, it's one of the ones that been uh, that's on the to get uh, vinyl list. You know. Well, they, I, I mean, they have a very devoted cult following. I know they have mm. that three eleven day. They've even had it down here in New Orleans. You know, a yeah. time or two. I, I would I would go to that. I would too. They're very very fan friendly, which I think is what's kept them going as long. They they remind me of. Pearl Jam in the way that they regard their fans. They do things that are to like number one priority is benefiting their fans. How do we reward these people that have stuck with us? You know, and that's Pearl Jam is very much like that. Uh, Wilco is very much like that. You know, there's a lot of bands that that are very big on that. Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, it's beneficial for them to be that way because yeah. they have so many avenues to connect with people. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Pick your poison. Yeah, it's a little weird to me that over this time when people aren't touring that more bands haven't gone that, that grassroots way. Again, maybe they don't have to. You know, I mean like you know, Mick and Keith don't have to do stuff like that. They're all right. But you know, like it's funny some of the bands you would think would, would gravitate to that quickly really didn't. 
I mean, it would be great if the Crows would do that. Just have a Chris and Rich sitting in a living room with acoustic guitar. Even if they don't even play Crow stuff, just play covers. Yeah. You know, something even if they did it individually. Yeah. Yeah. I just I if, don't, don't get it. I saw where, I guess it was last night, Tedeschi Truck started a thing called like the Fireside Sessions or something like that. Video yeah, stream. I bought the uh, I bought the series, which is like I think once a once a month maybe. Is there like a theme to it or? Um, the theme basically is I don't know if it's their home or if it's a like a, a, a studio type thing they have on their property or something, but it's like a very big log cabin-y looking thing. Reminded me of like Levon Helm's place, and uh, they're just kind of in there with this big high ceilings and everything, just performing. But they're performing as a four piece. Hey, I need to check that out. I saw some highlights of it got posted on Facebook last night. The first one was cool. Any cool really co- any cool covers? What was the one they did? It was an Allman Brothers tune. Statesboro Blues. Really, really cool cover that with Susan singing, obviously. So instead of Wake Up Mama, it was Wake Up Papa, you know? <laughs> That's cool. I need to check those yeah. out. Yeah, I wish more, I wish some of the, more of the bands that I really like would do stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, they're in, Tedeschi Trucks is another band that's very fan oriented, and that's one thing I really appreciate about them. Yeah, I, I I need to check those out. Yeah, I just wish I I just feel like the Robinson Brothers were missing the boat on this. So, like Jackie Green does a thing where he goes live all the time and just does stuff from his studio and plays sometimes just bits and pieces, like fractions of songs, like odd covers that people ask him to do, and you know, uh, but. Could you imagine, like, okay, like Rich Robinson doing that once a week? I'd pay into that. Mm-hmm. He was on for a half hour, an hour, just played a couple of tunes and, and hit the road. I mean, it's weird to me that they don't. <sighs> Doesn't surprise me. Like, Patterson Hood, he's been doing one, like, every Wednesday night. Really? And, like, he'll play, like, 25, 30 songs. And some, sometimes he has a theme, and then sometimes it's just him playing. But it's really, really cool. Um, I mean, you got to get creative, in ways, I still, I still wish um, the Crows would do a thing kind of like um, Widespread Panic does, where about four times a year they release an archival show on vinyl, you know, properly mastered. It would be nice. I mean, I don't know the logistics of getting vinyl press these days and how expensive it would be, but I would imagine, you know, if you did a press of like a lot of a lot of times you see limited pressings of like a thousand. So if you did a press of a thousand, there's easily a thousand people that would buy that. Yeah. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I mean what was what was Lost Crows limited to? What was that, three thousand? And those sold out and well, now they're like hundreds of dollars. And like the deluxe edition of the Shake Your Moneymaker box set with like the signed photo sold out like in a day. There's a demand there. There is and it's a you know, it's a it's a hunger that's not being fed by the band. It's strange to me yeah so last night when you and i were chatting we were talking about i thought i was thinking about this some of our favorite concert films and you had incorrectly said that the last waltz was your favorite concert film and i uh i corrected you and said it's pink floyd pulse there's no (laughs) there's no there's no debate for that everybody else can be wrong that's fine can i can i admit i didn't know i didn't know my personal opinion could be wrong (laughs) Can I admit something? I've never watched The Last Waltz all the way through. It's a Thanksgiving staple, David, and I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I, I consider it un-American not to watch The Waltz now, on Thanksgiving. But if I do, I prefer the version where Neil Young has the booger sugar. <laughs> <laughs> like, if we're going to do it, 
needs to be the real thing. Yeah, I just never had, like, I like the band. Um, and I mean, I could probably fill up two albums worth of stuff that I think of theirs is like really, really good. One of my favorite songs of all time is It Makes No Difference. Yeah. I love, that's a beautiful song. My Morning Jacket does a killer version of that. Oh, really? Yeah. It's on that, um, that band tribute album. Like, it's got widespread panic playing Chess Fever on it. But, um, yeah, I never have just set, I mean, I've seen it all, but I've never just like set down. I know a lot of people watch it all the time, but I just never have sat down and watched the whole thing all the way through. Even though, for, for whatever reason, uh, Martin Scorsese chose to focus a lot more on Robbie Robinson than the rest of the band in that film. It's still Leave on Helm's show. I, he, he, everything that he is front and center for, he blows out of the water. I mean, Leave on Helm is amazing. What was the genesis of their hatred for one another? I think it was because, like, kind of like with that, I think Robbie Robertson, I don't know if he thought of himself as or kind of in the press became like the, the, the face of the group or something like that. Or, you know, I think there was a lot of animosity because of that, because, uh, you know, they saw it as like a, they're called the band. They saw it as like, you know, like a collective really. And I think, I think Robbie Robertson, you know, maybe fancied himself the leader a little bit too much, you know? Do you think he's a great guitar player? Like, no, always, I think he's a great songwriter. I've been just terribly underwhelmed when I've seen him try to solo. No, he's not a he's not a, a fantastically great guitar player. Uh, his playing is is good is good for what he needs it to be good for. But his his talent is songwriting, and um, you know lyrics. He has a lot of good lyrics too. I I mean the band the band put out two or three records. I think uh, they like they reformed years later and put out two or three records without Robbie Robinson, and they're fantastic records. It's just nobody paid any attention to them, but. I think there's one called High on the Hog, and you know this, they're really good. How many do they do with Robbie? So like five or so? I think they have I think they have a total of eight albums, including there's, there's the Les Waltz live, of course, but there's also one called Rock of Ages, which is a double live album, which is actually... Got Don't Do It on it, baby, Don't Do It. Yeah, I mean, performance-wise, it actually is, is a lot better than the Les Waltz, I think. It always cracks me up. The Black Crows cover the band's interpretation of Baby Don't You Do It. Yeah, they, it's their arrangement. Which, Rich's version on uh, Live at the Knitting Factory is like note perfect to the band's version. Even the solo is the same. Like He really does a faithful cover of that. But the funny thing about that is Rich, because uh, obviously with the Crows, Chris is singing too. But Rich actually sings that track the most faithful to the band's arrangement. Like it's teeth that uses their phrasing and their, uh, you know, his, his is the most genuine to the, to the track. Yeah. They, I mean, I've got, what do I have over there? I've got music from the big pink and I may have the second album, which, you know, obviously the black crows <laughs> tried to emulate with the album cover. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's blatant, right? It is pretty. I never, I never noticed it till like, Obviously, I've looked at both album covers, but it just never occurred to me until somebody pointed it out, but it is pretty similar. How important to you is an album cover? I'll be honest with you, they used to be a lot more important to me. But I I, you know, I, I have bought records, like, I've looked at the jacket and been like, well, that looks interesting. And, uh, you know, it's like, especially when buying used LPs these days, like, if I'm just kind of looking for something, 
I, I, I don't know how many people do this kind of thing, but I'll just take a gamble on something if it's like cheap enough. You know what I mean? If it's a used LP, something I never heard of, and it's a couple of bucks and it's in good shape, I'll say, oh, I'll see what this is all about, you know? And I've ended up finding a couple of decent things that way. Like what? Let's see. There was a, um, a guy called uh, Ian Matthew. Uh, there's a band called Cowboy, which uh, was on Capricorn Records. Uh, apparently, did a few albums. I found this like double, which ended up being a compilation. But you know, it's just stuff I wouldn't otherwise come across. I'm not big on the used. I've gotten burned so bad. Like we have this like vinyl convention here once a year, and I always go to it to support. You know, support them. They'll have like you know twenty, thirty record vendors there, and. I always, you know, like I said, I go to try to support it, but every one of them I've bought, like, I've come home and it's just been an issue. Issue how? just doesn't sound good. Um, you know, I've tried cleaning some of them and it just, I don't know. Like, I bought an original pressing of Pink Floyd Animals and it was just garbage. I bought an original pressing of Physical Graffiti and it turned out to be garbage. I, I, I want it to sound good. And mm-hmm. so if I can get a first pressing that sounds good, like the Prince Purple Rain first pressing you got me for Christmas sounds amazing. You know, so did the, the obviously the Tom Petty one did because it never been opened up. Right. But, um, yeah, I've just gotten some that have just kind of burnt me on it. I mean, I'll do, I'll buy it sometimes, like a used one maybe on eBay if it's listed as like mint condition and I see this is a person you can trust, but. Like when you bought those the other ones that you got burned on, like the physical graffiti and stuff, did you did you spend a few bucks on it and it was bad or was it? Oh yeah, it's it's like ten bucks, you know. So yeah, obviously well, it wasn't going to be in best condition, but yeah. Unfortunately, with the the original pressings, if you really want high quality on those, sometimes you got to sink a few bucks. And like I just got a, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I also got a first press of uh, animals, and uh, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I was cleaning it today. Because all my little records get a bath after mm-hmm. I buy them, <laughs> the used ones anyway. Uh, it's really clean looking, so I'm hoping that's going to sound fantastic. I'm uh, very excited about that, actually. Well, you know, supposedly one of the um, points of contention in the last year or two between Roger Waters and David Gilmore is Roger Waters wants to completely, I don't know if he wants to remix Animals or something like that, and he can't get David Gilmore to sign off on it. I wonder why he wants to remix that, because it's mixed rather well. I mean, their their albums were never like... Known for being mixed poorly. Uh, momentary lapse of reason. See, but that's because the the mix is dated on that. I don't think that the the Floyd records sound particularly like that. Not the Floyd the the Waters era Floyd records. Uh, you know, from like Dark Side to to the Wall or whatever. I don't think they sound particularly dated. I don't either. Like Dark Side of the Moon sounds like it was recorded today. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, momentary lapse of reason has that kind of '80s production values on it. You know what's crazy? That what's crazy is so many people fell victim to that, and like it's just yeah. this short window of time. But like the you know stuff in the sixties and seventies doesn't sound like that. Stuff in the nineties doesn't sound like that. You had this like five or six year window where everything was just. Ugh. I think it had a lot to do with the use of synths and things, which just itself is a dated sound. You know, and everything everything in the eighties, like pop wise, is kind of glossy. You know, and. Uh, I don't know. I like the sound of a momentary lapse of reason. There's a lot of '80s tinged records that I like. That there's a a Robert Plant record called um, uh, "Principle of Moments" that has "In the Mood" on it and stuff like that. I think that has a great sound to it. You know, 
Robert Plant, I love that song, 29 Palms. You like that? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and I started li- I started listening to some of his newer stuff recently. Some of it's good. Some of it's a little self-indulgent. But See, the, the thing I appreciate about Robert Plant is consistently he's been like, nah, I'd just rather do this. And so you know he's into what he's doing. And he doesn't really try to, like maybe in the 80s a little bit, try to keep with that sound. But like now he just kind of does what, you know, he's not trying to sound like anything current, you know, or anything like that. He just does music that I think he enjoys, and that's quite honestly suits his voice a lot better. Oh yeah, well I think one of the reasons <laughs> that he's not doing his Zeppelin tours, he knows he can't hit those notes or come close to it. I mean, some of the rearrangements of those songs are cool, uh, but it's not like they were. But I mean, even even years ago, he really didn't do them. Have like you ever have you ever before. seen him before in any incarnation? Not live, no. You know, just on uh, film and things like that. I actually saw the last date of the Page Plant tour. Oh yeah, when that Walking into Clarksdale album came out, it was good. I like I like the song selection of the stuff they played, uh, and I like that song "Most High" that they had as a as a single. See, that was like that came out when I was like seventeen, when uh, I uh, had to make hard choices as to what concerts I was going to for the summer because I didn't have a lot of cash. So, 98 was a Van Halen summer, so I had to skip Page and Plant. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I wish I had seen them. Well, it's just cool to be able to say you, you saw them. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, around our age who've never seen Jimmy Page, you know. So, I always try to, like, keep a running track list of how many Rock and Roll Hall of Famers that I've seen. Did you ever see Petty? Yeah, saw him on the, for the first time on the last tour. Oh, that's kind of cool. See, that's a that's a concert feather in your cap, you know? I yeah. mean, you want to talk about sometimes having a dated production sound. If you listen to that uh, Southern Accents album with Don't Come Around Here No More, that has like that 80s production to it, but that's still a great album. That song is so good live. Like when they play it, at, played it on that um, 30th anniversary show in like Gainesville, Florida, and Stevie Nicks came out and sang it with them. When they hit that kind of long part at the end, they do these like insane strobe lights and just really rock it out. It's so it's such a good song. I love that song. I don't I don't look down on that one at all. But if you th- yeah no I I love that I love the album. There's, I mean the song Southern Accents itself is fantastic. But that it's produced by Dave Stewart from the Arrhythmics. I mean obviously it's going to have that kind of sound to it, but. It never comes across as sounding like particularly dated, nor does it – it really sticks out in his catalog because it, it doesn't sound like a lot of his other stuff. And yet it does. It, he was really good at like incorporating his sound into other things as well you know, and still having it sound like him, if that makes sense. Yeah, he was an amazing songwriter. E- yeah. Even now, I don't think he gets the respect he deserves. The Tom Brady and the Heartbreakers greatest hits album. I mean every one of those songs is a winner. I mean, think about it. Like, there's very like you could pick anybody off the street, and like when I saw him, I think he played like twenty two, twenty three songs, and the only deep track he played was a song off the first album, and I, the, I forget what it was called. And you could drop almost anybody in there from any generation, and if it's twenty two songs, they're gonna know fifteen of them easily. Yeah, I mean, he got a lot of radio play. I mean, but he, you know, a lot of times. When when bands release greatest hits albums, they include one or two new songs and try to push those over as a single. 
then is it, you know it does okay but but i mean like on the petty greatest hits the one they put over as the single was uh uh mary jane's last dance and that was tremendous i mean that was like a huge hit you could argue that's yeah. his second or third biggest hit yeah and it was the extra track on the greatest hits album i mean that's you know that's a testament to his his songwriting abilities you know have you ever watched that anniversary concert I don't think I have, no. It, have you seen the Running Down a Dream documentary? Uh, many times, yes. I love that documentary. Well, see, it came with mine. I guess I got the deluxe edition. It's like, like Stevie Nicks plays like three or four songs with them. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I have yeah, seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in Gainesville, Florida. Which Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of documentaries, that Running Down a Dream documentary on him, was it like three, four hours long? It's so good. Not a dull moment in that thing. And it's four. It's about, yeah, about three and a half, four hours and... You don't ever feel like, oh, it's just coming to an end. You know, like, it's so interesting. So well done. Man, I'm a sucker for a music documentary. Like, I don't like the Eagles, and that Eagles documentary was fascinating. Well, it's fascinating because, that you know, Don Henley, and uh, not to speak ill of him because he's passed away, but Glenn Fry, they were a couple of, uh, they could be jerky at times, you know what I mean? And they were, But they were honest about it. Yeah, up front. They, they weren't, like, trying to hide the fact that they were what they were. That Rush Beyond the Lighted Stage is a really good one, and I'm not a big Rush fan. Yeah, and um, there was another that that documentary is fantastic. I've watched that several times, and I'm I'm a you know a minor Rush fan. Like I'm not like you know like Twenty One Twelve goes beyond me and that kind of stuff. But I, you know I like a lot of their other stuff. But I think the, I think the documentary it was a documentary of their their last tour mm-hmm. or their last show. I think it was called Time Stand Still. I mm-hmm. saw that for a while, you know, obviously before the pandemic, but you know, for a few years prior to that, this company called Fathom Events would do like one or one night only things like in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And I went and sat in the movie theater and watched that with like some serious rush nerds, like some big big time like we are with the crows, like these were the Yeah. The the Rush nerds, you know, and then I, I felt uh inadequate being there because they were you know, everybody they're coming in with their rush t shirts on and cheering i just wanted to see it because it was it seemed interesting you know were there any women there i I believe i said this was a rush event so no there were no women there. (laughs) lord have mercy yeah they uh you go to you don't go to a rush concert to pick up women there's a there's a few bands like that though the black crows is a pretty even mix of of men and women you know they have a lot of females. i was surprised the last time i went to see metallica how many women were there yeah, it was a lot. Def Leppard is big with women, or were anyway. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Poison. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen Poison? I'm trying to think. I have by by way of there was a, a a window of time where I was big into the '80s stuff, the hair metal stuff, and uh, they had like a pat one of those package tours come through, and it was like uh, Quiet Riot, Warrant, Enough's Enough, and Poison was like the headline. So. I, I was big into Quiet Riot at the time, so I went to see them. But uh, and uh, you know, I stuck around for Poison. Obviously, they put on a good show. I saw Poison, Cinderella, and Winger one time. Wait, what year? Because mine was two thousand. This would have been two thousand two. So it was after the after the heyday. You know, the thing about going to see Poison, like if you just go in for the sake of like get get drunk and have have a good time, it's great. But man, they are so bad musically bobby doll is like close to like sid vicious bad but they can they they managed to write some catchy hits and 
you know, some of their stuff. I mean, I can't say I can't sit here and say that like every note they ever recorded is terrible because it's not. There's, but you know, a, a lot of that stuff too. And I I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes things get tied to you sentimentally because of when they came out in your in your youth. You know, I right? used to be that way about th- that kind of stuff, and now I'm like, I can't believe I. I mean, like Poison was really the first band that I really got into to where like I really really got into a band. You know, but I look back and I'm like, man, that was silly. It's more of, for me, it's more of like, I can remember like listening to poison tapes, tenting out in my friend's backyard, you know, having, and I associate the mute, that music with those memories. And that's why I can still enjoy it. But like, so they gave you you nothing but a good time. David, uh, one more pun uh, like that. And we're canceling this podcast. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Don't talk dirty to me, Ian. Oh God. There was none of that going on in the tent, believe me. <laughs> like, I remember the first time I heard Heaven by Warrant. Uh, and for well, a while, it isn't too far away. See, yeah. they got me doing it. Yeah, no, I know. Oddly enough, I was at a diner eating a piece of cherry pie. Um, but yeah, yeah, stuff like that. I remember. Um, wait, 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 wait. Just listen. You can hear. People turning us off right now for doing this. So yeah, right. but I I do remember uh, one of the cool ones was um, I remember it was during the summer and I was at a party or something. Somebody pulled up and I go, "What's that? That sounds great!" And it was the new Skid Row album. It was Slave to the Grind and it was the song "Wasted Time," the the ballad at the end about which supposedly is about Stephen Adler and you know and drug addiction. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Or he? If it's not directly about him, he inspired it. Uh, right. Which I mean. Dude, I don't care what anybody says. That Slave to the Grind album is heavy. That's not glam metal or hair metal. That's a straight-up heavy metal album. Yeah, no, they came back real heavy with that. And then they've kind of disowned it a bit, but I, I think Subhuman Race is yes. a good album, too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that... All right, so that frustrates the stew out of me. You know, like, hey, they're they're allowed to change, you know? How much, how much stew do you have in you? <sighs> a lot probably <laughs> but yeah, yeah so subhuman race i remember when that came out i picked it up i think like the, i think i picked it up without hearing anything off of it and i was like oh wow they're going a little more in the uh grungy way that great ballad on there breaking down is good yeah. fire sign is good um what beat yourself blind um, beat yourself blind i was trying to think of the title of that yeah that's the one that's that's a but- that's a great one and that's a Bob Rock album. Bob yeah. Rock has produced a lot of underdog albums for some bands that were great, like that one, obviously the self-titled 94 Motley Crue record. You know, in my opinion, um, Load by Metallica. I mean, he has he's done a really, um, a little in enough with David Lee Roth. It was one of David Lee Roth's best solo records in terms of that's not sound. Saying, that's not saying much. The bar is low. Uh, you think so? Because I think his first three solo records are, are very good. Well, I, I mean, a little enough. I mean, I, I like Jason Becker's great on it. I mean, uh, the playing, he's always surrounded himself with great players. It's just he can't sing and he can't write lyrics. Other than that, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> you, always, you always try to bait me with this David Lee Roth shit, and I'm not letting you. I won't he, let you he, anymore. He needs but. to be on medication. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, everybody knows that. Yeah. But, no, but Eat Him uh, and Smile and um, uh, Skyscraper, I think, are very, very good records. The only thing that's troubling about Skyscraper is... He complained about, you know, Eddie doing the keyboard stuff, and then that is like a entirely keyboard-based album. 
which I'm fine with, but it just seemed contradictory to what he said. It's a great album cover. Yeah. And that's really him on the side of a mountain doing that. It doesn't shock me one bit. I know. You and I will always differ on our opinions of David Lee Roth, but I just don't understand why people hold him in such high regard the way they do. Well, I mean, for me, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was such a tremendous Van Halen fan and, and, but I find David Lee Roth very interesting. Like I I read his book when it came out and I've read it a couple of times since. Oh, he's a fascinating, he's a fascinating interview. He's almost like the hard rock version of Robin Williams. Like you just don't know where it's going to go. But to me, that's what makes him ultimately, I mean, yeah, some of his stuff is, is goofy, but like a lot of times that's what makes him a real, artist to me is because he'll he takes a lot of risks like you don't realize it but he does things that like he played vegas and did that thing because he wanted to a lot of people made fun of him for it but that's what he wanted to do you know he made a he participated in a country like bluegrass tribute album to van halen but ended up singing songs on it because he thought that was cool like he doesn't pigeonhole himself like right now on his website it's like this music that him and and john five came up with with like drawings by David Lee Roth and this whole like interactive animated thing. It's just really creative to me. Like, I don't think, I think people just see him as like this goofy big mouth that, that isn't talented, but he's, he can't sing anymore. He he wasn't the greatest singer to begin with, but like he's, a, he is a talented guy to me. You know? I will tell you, I think his best lyrics were on that last album. Yeah. As it's is real- stay frosty or now tattoo is cheesy, but like I love "Stay Frosty" and 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 uh, as is, I think it's the best song on there. Yeah, I mean, I I always, I always liked uh, the uh, you know a fair amount of his lyrics, um, but I do think that the stuff on that last record is is particularly strong. You're right about that. Wasn't most of that left over from the '70s? The music, anyway. It, a lot of them is, you know, a re reworked versions of old. So you, like you can go back and listen to the demos; they're not exactly the same. And you know, with new lyrics on top of them, but that was that was Wolf, from what I understand. Like, he went back and pulled stuff out of the vaults and said, you know, we should we should do this. You know, the thing is with Wolf, like he appreciates their place in history, yeah, and and also realizes they dodged a bunch of stuff that they never really played live. And uh, I commend him for that. I I am very much looking forward to his album based on the two songs I've heard. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's a very talented young man. I mean, he plays a lot of intru- instruments, and I liked what I've heard so far, the two tracks that they've put out off of that. You know, and he's, I think the kid's got a lot of balls because he's going to take a lot of shit when that album comes out, just from, you know, all the negative folks out there, you know. Well, you know he was on Kimmel recently and played live. Yeah. It was really, really good. I mean, come on, with those jeans, you can't be bad. Yeah, but the thing I appreciate about him is he does not try to trade on his father's name. There is nothing about those first two songs that sound anything like Van Halen. Matter of fact, the new one that just came out, um, to me, has a Tool influence. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a Van Halen sound. The only thing that you know involves his father at all is the fact that that first song lyrically was a tribute to him. So the video for it was old home videos of him and his dad, but you know, that's... Because the kid lost his dad, you know? Yeah, in a very public way. Yeah. He seems like a good, well, well-rounded, well g- grounded kid to have grown up with, like, both parents pretty famous. Yeah, but, you know, um, Eddie Van Halen, I think, was a much more down-to-earth guy than people 
because he was aloof, I think people might, might have taken him like, you know. Well, what's so weird is it seems like unless you were in his band, everybody else around, he treated like he was the nicest person in the world. But when it came to Sammy, Dave, and Michael Anthony, he was ruthless. Yeah. But, I mean, as far as Dave and Sammy go, I, can, I would imagine that Dave and Sammy are just as difficult as, as people portray Ed to be. You know, you Sammy think- Hagar is very... Sammy Hagar is, is a great guy, and he seems like a nice guy, and I'm a big fan of Sammy Hagar. But he seems very, I want what I want, I'm going to get it, like kind of guy. Like the, I, him, It's almost like him and Ed had butted heads because they were the same kind of personality. Well, Ian, I think this will wrap up episode three. Already? All right, so let's start a new tradition on these chats. You pick a playout song, and I pick a playout song. So we're going to do a double. Yeah, a two for Tuesday, if you will, on Friday there. Since we started off... Uh, Talking about the last waltz, I think I'm going to go with a, a track from the band off the last waltz, the the live version of Up on Cripple Creek. Well, and I'm going to go with a song off Skid Row's Subhuman Race, Fire Sign. Oh, those should pair nicely. Yeah, this. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that's those are going to go together like oil and water. But hey, that's what that's we right. do. Yeah, that's all right, man. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us for episode three of State of the to Chat. Everybody, have a great week.